Amen. Turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. What a love, what a cost. We stand forgiven at the cross. What a wonderful truth to be reminded of as we are thinking about the victory cry of it's finished there on the cross. We are picking back up in our series in 2 Corinthians, gospel power through human weakness. Today we're going to be in chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. So let's read God's word together. 2 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 1. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much in our authority, which the Lord gave, for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, But his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word today, God. We thank you for this letter that was written so many years ago, but is so helpful and so important for us. It shows us that Paul is willing to embrace his weakness, willing to press into this conflict with the Corinthian church, willing to love them and serve them. But more than that, Lord, this is your word, God, that you have spoken to us as a church today. So God, as we think about the fighting and the battles that we must pursue for the sake of Christ, Would you help us to look not just to Paul, but to Jesus, who loved us, who gave himself up for us, who laid down his life for us, so that we would stand forgiven there in his cross. So God, speak to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So war is all around us, isn't it? Everywhere we look, we see war. We turn on the news and there is violence and destruction around the world. We see war between Israel and Hamas that's just a few months in and how many thousands of people have died. The war between Russia and Ukraine is almost two years in and there's no end in sight. There's civil war and has been for decades in the Congo. And it seems like with recent elections, there's going to be even more war and violence. 
Our world is full of war. But it's not just the nations that are at war. There are political wars here at home. There's culture wars happening around us. There are wars being fought on social media and through local governments. There's wars being fought in college campuses. And maybe for some of us, there was even a war in the minivan on the way to church this morning. Everywhere we look, there is war. And you know, as God's people, it can be easy to think, well, listen, hey, we're not involved in that at all. We can look around at our church here in Bowling Green and think, man, I'm glad that that war is somewhere else. We can feel safe in our small town of Bowling Green and in our loving church here, far away from any kind of war. Brothers and sisters, we are at war. There is a spiritual war raging in the heavenly places that would seek to destroy us. Our enemy, Satan, is against us, seeking to destroy our devotion to Christ. The world around us is against us, seeking to destroy our obedience to Jesus. Even our own hearts and our sin are against us, seeking to destroy us and destroy our unity in the bond of peace. So brothers and sisters, we are at war and God is calling us to fight. But not to fight the way the world fights, to fight the way Jesus fights. See, we've we've come to God's word from Paul in 2 Corinthians, and he's continuing to deal with this conflict that he has with this church. And we see Paul fighting the way Jesus fights, with the very meekness and gentleness of Christ, with the power of God working through his weakness all with the purpose of building them up in Christ. And so my goal for us today is to see that, yes, we are fighting a spiritual war, and God wants us to fight like Jesus. As we just saying, Christ has won the war for us, so we must fight for him. So let's look at God's word and see how Christ is calling us to wage this spiritual war. Notice first the posture of our fight. The posture of our fight. So it's been a while since we've been in the early chapters of 2 Corinthians. And remember, one of the main reasons Paul is writing this letter is to deal with the conflict that he's having with this church. It's no secret that church fights can be nasty. And Paul's right here in the middle of a nasty church fight with the church in Corinth. You see, there was a group of people who wanted to get rid of Paul. They said he was weak and unimpressive, and they wanted the church to stop following him and just to be done with him altogether. So Paul had written to them in the past a very strong letter. He calls it a letter of tears, and it was harsh. He regretted sending it at one point. But he sees that God is working here, so he wants to come to them again. And so he wrote this letter that we call 2 Corinthians to continue to pursue peace with them. You see, Paul's opponents, those who are against him, are using that letter that he had sent to them, they're using it against him. They say this man talks a big game, but he's weak when he's around us. Look what he says in verse 1. He says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, 
And then he's kind of quoting what they're saying about him. I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. They're mocking him and putting him down, calling him humble, saying, yeah, he's bold when he's not here, but he shows up and he's weak. Look what they say about him down in verse 10. He's quoting them again. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence in weak is weak and his speech is of no account. These people are saying, this guy is weak. He's small. He's boring. Why are we even following this man? And so Paul has to deal with this disunity in the church. And he's going to come and he's going to deal with these people. But notice what he says in verse 2. He says, I beg of you that when I'm present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. He wants this church to open their hearts to him. He doesn't want to have to show up and be harsh with them in person. But notice the posture that Paul has as he's approaching this fight. He, noticed, he begins this whole section here in verse 1 with these words, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Paul's not planning to show up and throw his weight around. He's not going to show up with guns blazing. He's not coming to knock some heads together. He's not saying, hey, get with the program or get out of the way. Now, some people might say he's got every right to do that. I mean, he started the church. He is an apostle, for goodness sakes. And he's the one who's in the right. They're the wrong, in the wrong. Why not kick these people off the bus? Why not run over them with the bus? Well, because Paul is a servant of Christ. And Paul is taking the posture of his master. Paul has a posture of meekness and gentleness as he's dealing with this conflict. And he's not just doing this because this is how you can get things done. He's not doing a, a, the little like you get more flies with honey than you do vinegar. He's not dealing with the, just a little trick here. He's fighting with the meekness and the gentleness of Christ because that's the way of his master. You see, we find those two words that Paul uses in verse 1 actually in the mouth of Jesus, his master. In Matthew 11, 28 and 30, here's what Jesus says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus came into the world to wage war against our sin and unbelief. He came to destroy the powers and the authorities, and he did it with a gentle and lowly heart. Jesus came to wage war with a posture of meekness and gentleness. I mean, listen, if anybody's got weight to throw around, it's Jesus. If anybody can wield the wrath of God, it's Jesus. If anybody's got authority and power and strength, it's Jesus. But he came with a posture of meekness and gentleness. With compassion, he saw the crowds as sheep without a shepherd. 
With kindness, he touched the untouchable and he welcomed the unwanted. With grace, he forgave even the worst of sinners. And with love, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul has a posture of meekness and gentleness because Jesus had it first. Paul found rest in his gentle and lowly Savior. And brothers and sisters, we have too. And so Christ is calling his redeemed people to have a posture of meekness and gentleness too. You know, things don't really change in the world. There's even some today who, like Paul's opponents, are saying meekness is weakness. You see on your phone these popular activists who claim to be Christians who are just rude and hateful to the people they talk to. You see politicians claiming to follow Jesus, saying that if Jesus had more guns, he would have kept his government from killing him. There's these so-called discernment teachers who see it as their mission to turn everybody into a devil and a false teacher. There's even pastors who see it as their mission to tear people down and to just break them. And all these people say, listen, meekness is weakness. Only the strong are going to come out on top in the end. You're not going to win with gentleness. Brothers and sisters, that is not the way of Jesus. That's the way of the devil. That's not the way of the cross. Jesus did come out on top, but not without the cross. He defeated his enemies. How? By laying down his life for them. He won victory over sin and Satan and every evil scheme, and he did it through weakness. Meekness is not weakness. It's the way of Jesus. Gentleness is not failure. It's the way of Christ. And so we must, yes, wage the spiritual war, but we do it with the posture of Jesus. Listen, in a world full of hostility, we must be different than the people of the world. We need to be like Peter in the garden, putting away our sword. We need a posture of meekness and gentleness. And so Christ's fellowship, Jesus is calling us to fight with his posture. Listen, when there's conflict among us, and there will be conflict among us, He's calling us to put away the sword, to come to one another with a spirit of gentleness, to listen to one another with humility. So let's say to one another, I'm sorry, and let's say it a lot. I mean, how many wounds would be healed in our church if we just said, I'm sorry to one another? And let's respond with, I forgive you. How many conflicts would just end if we said those words, I forgive you, to one another? Listen, meekness is more important than being right. Gentleness is more important than getting our way. We need to put the sword away in our marriages. We need to put the sword away when there's conflict at work. We need to put the sword away when parents and kids are butting heads 
And listen, even if the world comes against us, we need to lay down our swords and we need to take up our cross. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. And it's a way of meekness and gentleness. So brothers and sisters, let's fight this spiritual war with the posture of Jesus. Let's be a people who are gentle and meek. That's the posture of our fight. Number two, notice the power of our fight. So Paul has told us the posture, but, but how is he going to fight? What weapons will he use? What power will he draw upon? Remember, Paul is right in the middle of this conflict with the Corinthian church. And he's planning, up, he's planning to show up soon to deal with it. But how is he going to deal with it? That's what verses 3 through 6 are all about. He just said at the end of verse 2 that they're accusing him of walking according to the flesh. This guy is living for his own passions. He's got some selfish motivations here. He's just interested in money or power or something. But listen to what he says in verse 3. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Paul has already admitted in 2 Corinthians that yes, we are living in these weak, dying, wasting away bodies. But he says we don't wage war the way the world wages war. The world is fighting for power and position, but not Paul. Notice he's not fighting the way the world fights. Listen to verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Listen, the world has its weapons, violence and oppression, lies, deceit, hatred and malice, shame and insult. The world will use people to get to the top. The world will hurt people to get what they want. The world will get even and give to people what they got coming to them. That's how the world fights. But not Paul. He's using different weapons. Notice that Paul uses three military metaphors. First, he talks about destroying these strongholds. Look what he says in verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. He's like a strong army that's coming to tear down enemy walls, tearing down these arguments that are against the truth of God. Second, he talks about taking captives. Just as an army would take captives of war, Paul says, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. What Paul's talking about here is the lies of Satan. He talks about this later in chapter 11. He's there to enslave the lies of the devil and to bring the church into obedience to Christ. And then third, he talks about punishing every disobedience. Listen to verse 6 again. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. When the city is taken, the soldiers would come and punish those who were against them. And so Paul is calling the church to repentance. And you might say, well, okay, what's Paul's point in all of this? You know, Paul doesn't actually mention the weapons he's fighting with. Other places in the Bible, you can go to Ephesians 6, and he talks about that. Earlier, he talked about the sword of righteousness. But Paul doesn't mention any of these because that's not his point. 
Paul is saying he's going to win this fight because he's fighting with the power of God. Remember, in verse 4, he called it divine power. All of his confidence is in the power of God. And remember, that's the theme of this letter. We've called this series Gospel Power Through Human Weakness. That's what it's all about. Paul knows he's going to win this fight, but not because he's strong. He's going to win because God is strong. Paul's content with his weakness because he's resting in the power of God. Just like David, he had no fear fighting the mighty Goliath with just a sling because he was resting in the power of God. Or Elisha, who's not worried that he's surrounded by an enemy army because he's resting in the power of God. Or Moses, who's not hopeless with the sea ahead of him and the army behind because he's resting in the power of God. All of these were fine being weak because in their weakness, God's power was made known. It was the power of God that parted that sea. It was the power of God that sent those angels to defeat the army. It was the power of God that crushed the head of that giant. Brothers and sisters, God is calling us to embrace our weakness. To stop believing that we are strong on our own. He wants us to stop pretending like we've got it all together. He wants us to stop playing God. Friends, we are weak. We are. But God is strong. Listen, Paul is in the middle of a messy situation here. Church fights can be dumpster fires, and this is one right here. It's a mess. But Paul is trusting in the power of God to do the work of God. He's fine to be weak so that God might be strong. And so, brothers and sisters, we must do the same. Whatever spiritual battle you're facing right now, you need to know this. You cannot do it on your own. You cannot do it on your own. You're not enough. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. None of us are enough, but Jesus is. Christ is strong enough for every battle that we must face. So let's embrace our weakness so that we might trust more and more in the power of God. Let's be a church who rests not in our power, but in God's power. That's the power for our fight. You know, Paul moves on here in verse 7 to try to find some common ground with the church. Listen to what he says. He says, look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he's Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. He's reminding them that they all belong to Jesus. Even in this conflict, they belong to Jesus. You know, I'm sure there's some of us here today who don't belong to Jesus. Maybe you're here just because you came with somebody. Maybe you thought it was a good idea to come to church this morning. It was a good idea to come to church this morning. 
And if you're not a Christian, I'm glad that you are here today. And maybe you're not getting much from my sermon, but hey, at least get this. Without Jesus, there is no hope for you. In the end, you will lose. Our sin and our rebellion deserves eternal punishment from God. And in the end, we will face that. But God is rich in mercy and love. And he sent Jesus for sinners like me and like you to live and to die and to rise again. If you would repent of your sins and believe in Jesus, you could be saved and you can belong to him. Jesus is the only hope for sinners. And so would you come to him today and be saved? Come and be saved by the very power of God. Notice lastly, the purpose of our fight. So Paul finishes our passage by pointing out the reason he's waging this war. You know, maybe you're like me. But if I were in Paul's shoes, I would have just been done with all of this. Probably just would have moved on. Hey, there's other churches to minister to. Listen, there's other cities that need the gospel. Why spend so much time with so many tears dealing with this one church? If Paul were my friend, I would probably tell him, hey, listen, it's okay just to move on. But Paul is not giving up on this church. And he tells us why in verse 8. Look at what he says. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. Paul is talking about authority because he is an apostle. That word means someone who is sent off, someone sent with a message and a mission. You see, Paul joined a small group of men who were sent by Jesus himself to spread the gospel and to start churches around the world. The 12 disciples became apostles. There were a few others who were eyewitnesses to the resurrection who also became apostles. And then when Paul was violently opposed to the church, Jesus showed up and saved him, and Paul became the last apostle. And so Paul has direct authority from Jesus himself to preach and to start churches. And that's what he did here in this city. This church exists because Paul was faithful to that calling. And so Jesus, the Lord himself, gave Paul this authority and Paul is boasting in it. Why? Why did he give him this authority? Didn't Paul just tell us? For building you up and not destroying you. Paul's ministry to the Corinthian church is all about that, building them up. He's a worker for their joy. He's sincere in his love for them. He's filled with genuine care for them. His heart is wide open for them. Paul is fighting this fight because he is for them. He's willing to face sorrow and ridicule and suffering because it's his joy to build them up in Christ. And this is what 
drove Paul. That was his great purpose, to build up the church. That's why he's still here dealing with these people. That's why he hasn't given up on them. That's why he hasn't moved on. And that's why he's writing this letter that we're reading now. Look what he says in verses 9 through 11. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. That wasn't his intention. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Paul's like, listen, if I'm with you or if I'm away from you writing a letter, my purpose is the same. My goal is to build you up and not to tear you down. And so, brothers and sisters, that has to be our great purpose in this fight as well. In everything that we do, we must seek to build others up and not tear them down. When there's conflict in our church, and there will be conflict in our church, our goal must be building others up. And even if there's conflict with others outside the church, our purpose doesn't change. Our goal in everything should be to build others up in Christ. When we have to do hard things, when we have to say hard things, it must always be for the purpose of building others up. It's not about getting our way. It's not about being right. It's not about putting people in their place. Listen, it is not about winning It's about building others up. And listen, isn't this what Jesus does for us? Does Jesus enjoy putting us in our place? No. He covers us with mercy and grace. Is he mostly concerned with proving how we are wrong? No. He bears with us and he forgives us when we're wrong. Does he make winning at all costs his mission? No, he makes loving us at all costs his mission. Jesus lives to build us up. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He gives gifts to us so that the church might be built up. He washes his bride with the water of the word. He ever lives to intercede for us. He helps us in our temptation. He gives mercy and grace in our time of need. Christ is our sure and steady anchor. He is our good shepherd. He is the lifter of our heads. Jesus lives to build us up, and so we should fight to build others up too. Maybe you remember a time when churches were fighting over music. I think, and I hope most of those days are behind us, but man, people can get pretty heated over church music. In the 90s and the 2000s, there were these worship wars. Maybe you even joined in the fight a little bit. Some people wanted traditional hymns. Some people wanted modern songs. Some people wanted an organ with a choir. People wanted drums and guitars. Some people wanted deep, rich theology. Other wanted honest, emotional expressions. It might sound silly, but churches really split over these worship wars. 
And I remember a pastor one time saying, we should be fighting even harder in these worship wars. But not in the way that you think. He said the people who like modern songs should be saying, hey, we need more hymns in our church. The people who like traditional worship should be saying, hey, we need newer songs in our church. His point was that we should be fighting not for our desires, but for the desires of others. We should be fighting not for our interests, but for the interests of others. The goal is not to be right. It's not to get our way. The goal is to build others up. And so, brothers and sisters, we should be fighting to build up the church of Jesus. Just as Jesus laid down his life, we ought to lay down our lives for one another. That's our great purpose. Let's be a church that fights to build up others. You know, this war that God is calling us to, will, it will never be easy. God's calling us to, to walk in the way of the cross and to fight these spiritual battles like Jesus and that will never be easy. He's calling us to fight with the posture of meekness and gentleness. That doesn't come easy to me, and I'm sure it doesn't come easy to you. He's calling us not to fight with our own strength, but to fight with the power that Christ supplies. It's easy for me to believe that I'm strong enough, and I got this on my own. Maybe you're the same way. Listen, he's calling us to fight and to lay down our lives for the good of others so that they might be built up. That is not easy for us to do. None of these things will ever be easy. But beloved, they will always be worth it. Because Jesus is always worth it. Why? Would we strive to be meek and gentle in a world full of hostility because Jesus is worth it? Why would we embrace our weakness and rest in the power of God because Jesus is worth it? Why would we strive to build other people at all costs because Jesus is worth whatever it might cost? Brothers, and sisters, we will face spiritual battles today and tomorrow and every day after that until we see Jesus. So let's keep our eyes on him as we fight the good fight so that the world might see his glory and that his would be the name lifted high. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word today, God. Even as we see Paul dealing with this mess in this church, God, what an encouragement it is to know that you loved us and you came to deal with the mess in us. You did not shy away from those who need your grace.
and your mercy and your kindness. Lord, thank you for Jesus who was meek and gentle, who calls us to come to him and find rest for our weary souls, who calls us to follow him in meekness and gentleness, who tells us that it's blessed to be meek. Lord, we thank you that Christ came to display the power of God through the ultimate weakness of death. That he surrendered his life. That he laid down his life. That he went to the cross to bleed and to suffer and to die. And he did it for us. So that we might not rest in our own power, but in the power of him who raises the dead. Lord, and we thank you that Jesus came to build us up. And he continues to live to build us up. It is not his goal to prove that we're wrong or to put us in our place. But he loves to give grace upon grace. He's there to help us in our temptations, for he knows what it is to be weak. He's there to bless us and to comfort us and to be with us even to the end of the age. So, Lord, thank you so much for Jesus. God, may we be a people who seek to fight these fights like Jesus. God, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know Christ Lord, that they may come to Jesus today for the first time, that they would repent of their sins and believe in Jesus, and they might be his. What a beautiful thing it is to be Jesus's. God, may you draw them to Christ today. And God, as we go about our days together as a church and as families, as individuals, as the body of Christ, may we fight the good fight. May we keep our eyes on Jesus as we seek to honor him in all that we do. Might the world see his glory through us, God, and might everyone praise the name of Jesus. We pray all of this in the sweet name of Jesus. Amen.